welcome to your Apple Update. I'm your host, John Sherrod, and uh, happy Independence Day to my fellow Americans. As I'm recording this, it's the evening of July 3rd, the day before Independence Day. Uh, the sun has gone down, and uh, my neighbors are, are busily shooting off fireworks. Here in Tennessee, basically the way it works is, starting about a week before Independence Day, the neighbors start shooting off fireworks from the time the sun goes down until well after midnight. So uh, I don't get the best sleep this week, and uh, consequently you might hear explosions in the background if you're listening to the podcast. So we'll, we'll see how that goes. But, you know, it's the week after uh, WWDC. Uh, we've had some time to kind of digest some of the news. If you missed my last podcast, go back and listen to that because I broke down all the key uh, things that were announced at WWDC. And it was a pretty monumental year with the switch to Apple Silicon, big redesign to Mac OS, etc. But uh, a few things to get into this week. Uh, the first topic is why your next iPhone might not come with earbuds or a charger. We'll get into that. Also want to talk real briefly about the fact that Microsoft announced a week ago that they are closing all of their retail stores. They're getting out of the retail game. Uh, also uh, want to get into what you need to know if you're, if you're thinking about buying a new Mac now, given all the changes coming to the Mac later on this year. For example, is now a good time to buy a Mac, yes or no? I've got some thoughts on that and we'll jump into that. And then if we have time, um, I just want to talk real briefly about the fact that this week, a very high-end mechanical watch publication just announced that they became an Apple Watch retailer. So that's actually pretty cool and has a lot to say about the Apple Watch as a product. And so we'll get into all that and more. But first, here's a word from our sponsor. So, of course, we, we fully expect the iPhone 12, or whatever Apple's going to call it, to be announced later on this year. Usually it happens in mid-September, and we'll see if uh, COVID-19 had any impact on Apple's uh, planning, designing, or implementing, you know, manufacturing of the iPhone 12. But, you know, normally we expect that in mid-September, and of course, we, you know, it's, it, we expect uh, 5G to come to the iPhone this year for the first time. Um, but one thing that's been uh, going around the rumor mill is that the next iPhone models might not come with earbuds or a charger. And, uh, you know, this is <laughs> this is one of those things, anytime Apple makes any kind of change uh, like this, you're definitely going to have some people um, express some emotions about it. So I guess I would just caution you that at this point, this is just rumor. So if this is the kind of thing that you're likely to get upset about, at least wait until Apple announces it, because uh, it's entirely possible that they won't go this route. But but this sounds likely. We've, we've been hearing some rumors about this for a while, and um, you know, it, it makes sense for a few reasons, and, and we'll kind of talk about that. So, um, looking at earbuds in particular, um, you know, Apple has uh, been bundling those iconic white earbuds uh, with their devices going all the way back to the iPod in 2001, and it really has become an iconic thing. I mean, you see people with those white earbuds, and you know that they have an, an Apple product in their pocket. It used to be the iPod before, and then for the last several years, it's been the iPhone. Uh, you know, of course, Apple featured them prominently in those uh, colorful silhouette iPod ads uh, that themselves became so iconic, um, you know, back in the uh, previous decade in the, in the 2000s. Um, but it looks like now they're going to stop doing that. And, you know, I think uh, there's a few reasons this would be the same for the charger. Um, one, I think they figure that uh, plenty of people have uh, an extra charger and an extra set of ear pods that came with the previous device that they don't even use sitting in a drawer somewhere. So... Um, you know, they figure you probably don't need it because you've got a bunch of them. And, um, 
you know, they can save some costs by not including those in there, especially these days as more people are using AirPods for their 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 earphones. They're not using the, the, the wired earpods that come with it anymore. People just toss those in a drawer or give it to somebody else or something like that. So, um, and the same thing with the charger. A lot of times, you know, we've probably all got those little white USB 5-watt chargers sitting around from previous devices that we, we still use. And so Apple, you know, figures, well, maybe, maybe we don't need to include those anymore. And, of course, that, that, saves them, that saves them money. They don't have to include that in the packaging. They don't have to manufacture it. Um, and if they can make the packaging thinner... Um, then they can save on shipping costs also. So they get to save money in a few different ways there. And of course, if you go into an Apple store to buy an iPhone and you, and you know, you need a pair of earphone, ear, you know, ear, you know, earbuds or a charger, then that gives Apple the opportunity to, to sell you those extra. So that's certainly never a bad thing. Um, you know, from their perspective of a new way to bring in some revenue. However, I don't think that's the main thing. I think they, they certainly don't mind uh, that some people are going to purchase those in the retail stores and, and they'll make some extra bucks that way. Um, but I think this is probably more, from a cost-saving standpoint, it's probably more about the fact that um, the new iPhone is going to have, because it's going to have some things substantially new about it, uh, probably the biggest thing being uh, the move to 5G radios, they're going to have some increased component costs and not including the earbuds and the charger can be a way to save a little bit of money um, to the cost per unit. So in other words, maybe they want to keep the price of the iPhone roughly the same as the current iPhone 11 models, um, but because they're having to have some increased cost associated with R&D, design, manufacturing, what have you, maybe all of that, they want to uh, find a way to keep the cost the same while not cutting into their profit margins. And so that's kind of what's going on there. Um, another big thing about this for Apple, um, the environmental impact. And um, you know, whatever you think about, uh, you know, how healthy or unhealthy the environment is or what companies need to do and individuals and that sort of thing. Uh, it's pretty clear over the last, just, just if you watched Apple for any length of time, that this is uh, something that they care about. Um, you know, I wrote a blog post about this whole topic and, um, you know, I included a screenshot of the, the um, they, they make these little report cards basically for every product they sell. And they show, they show them in the keynotes when they demo new products to the world. And they have them on their website, too, that shows, hey, we don't use these type of chemicals and this kind of thing um, as a way to say, you know, we were being environmentally responsible with the manufacturing of this product. And, um, you know, one of the things that uh, sometimes happens in technology is we have this term called e-waste, where you have these uh, electronic components that are manufactured and uh, then they just get put in a landfill somewhere. And so, you know, again, if you have these extra ear, you know, ear pods and uh, these five watt chargers that come with the iPhones that people don't even use, a lot of times they, they wind up in a landfill. And that's something that um, is institutionally important to Apple. So uh, it would make sense that they could kind of get up on stage and, you know, you could even kind of hear, you know, Phil Schiller or somebody on stage saying, you know, we know you already have a drawer full of chargers and ear pods that came with your previous iPhones. And we want to cut down on the environmental impact of unused technology at the landfill. So. It makes sense that from from Apple's standpoint, uh, kind of what some of their core values are as a company that that they would, uh, you know, they would do that. So uh, that makes that makes a lot of sense. Um, so it, it seems pretty likely. I, I would not be at all surprised if this rumor comes to fruition later this year with the new iPhone uh, when it comes out, and um, we'll kind of see what happens. I think you know. Uh, from the charger standpoint, I think if you don't already have some around the house, this is a good opportunity probably to purchase some of those little Qi chargers, those little charging discs that you can just set your iPhone down on. Now that every iPhone model 
uh, comes with the ability to do that. That's a great thing to have several of those around. I've got one that I usually keep by the bedside, one I usually keep on my desk at work so I can just set it down without having a cable, you know, somewhere on the floor that I can trip over or that it gets lost or something like that. I just kind of have those areas where I can just set them down and those have become super common. You, you can certainly buy them at Apple, but you don't have to. You can buy them a lot of times for 10 bucks or less on Amazon or uh, in retail stores. And um, they don't have to be an Apple brand or anything like that because they're cross-platform. So that's, uh, that's a good thing to kind of have kind of have around. So that's the first thing I wanted to talk about tonight because it's likely something that we're going to see. Uh, we're going to see some hot takes come out later this year if that proves to be true. Um, so Microsoft last week on a Friday, of course, you never, uh, if you have a news to announce, if it's bad news, you dump it on a Friday because that's just, people are less paying attention to the news or thinking about the weekend. Um, and that's just where stories go when they don't want a lot of attention to come to them. So Microsoft actually, uh, announced this on a blog post called the Microsoft store announces new approach to retail, which is basically that they will have no physical retail presence that everything will be online. Um, and uh, they are, uh, you know, obviously COVID-19 has forced a lot of closures of things temporarily. And a, a company like Microsoft is, is not going bankrupt and needs to, you know, get rid of some things that aren't performing as well. In other words, they have enough money to float these things. But, you know, I just think that they have realized that this is not the best investment um, on their part. Um, they had, they were, they started in 2009. Apple started with retail in 2001. Uh, Microsoft opened their first store in 2009. And, um, you know, Apple has something around like 550 stores worldwide. Microsoft had 83. Um, and um, I think there's a few things we can look at as to kind of why, you know, why they failed. Um, you know, for one thing, I think it's a, a little bit of shifting priorities from the top of the company. Uh, the Apple, or excuse me, the Microsoft retail stores, uh, you know, came into being when Steve Ballmer was still the CEO, and um, Microsoft had sort of a different lineup of products then. You know, they did have uh, at the time they had the Zune, which was their MP3 player meant to compete with the uh, iPod, and they did have. Uh, Windows Phone. Um, they did have uh, exercise bands. So they did have some more consumer product type things that they could showcase in their stores. And uh, and all those things, you know, kind of came about from that Steve Ballmer era. And uh, in the era of Satya Nadella, who's been their CEO for the last several years, um, you know, they've, they've kind of divested themselves of those consumer products that weren't selling very well to focus more on, um, you know, enterprise tools, uh, the, you know, the Azure cloud services, uh, Windows and Office 365. And those have become, and now Microsoft 365. So their cloud services um, and software as a service have become uh, more key parts of their, uh, their revenue stream. Of course, they always were a software first company and they got into hardware a bit, again, with those consumer electronics products. And of course, they've also gotten into hardware in the last several years through their Microsoft Surface uh, personal computer line where they, they, you know, they kind of, they kind of did go with, they, they did see some value in Apple's approach of building their own software and hardware platforms. And again, Microsoft's business is a little different because whereas Apple always, you know, designed the, the software and the hardware and, and that, and, you know, with a few exceptions in the company's history, that was it. Nobody else could make a Mac. Um, you know, Microsoft always made like the Windows and Office software, but of course, other companies made the, the personal computers that ran those, those software products. Um, but Microsoft saw that there was some value to the business model Apple had and certainly wanted to have some of it. So 
they created their their surface line and uh, those those sell uh, very well to businesses in particular. I don't know that, that they have as big of a mind share with the average consumer. Um, you know, so for all those reasons, you know, they don't have consumer products to sell. You know, because again, I, I worked in Apple retail uh, fairly early in Apple retail, and then uh, it was there for seven years from 2005 to 2012, and um, it, that was sort of a conflation of a lot of things that happened at the right time. And a lot of times, timing is everything. Um, you know. Uh, Apple had had kind of exploded back into consumer awareness, starting with the iMac. You know that was really a, a design revolution, and it caught the public imagination in in big ways. You know there was a time there where it seemed like every consumer product there was uh, came in different colored plastic to match the colors of the iMacs. Um, I even had a George Foreman grill from uh, from the early 2000s that was in that that same blue color that a lot of the iMacs were coming in. So. You know that kind of exploded, and then of course in 2001, which was the same year that Apple opened its retail stores, um, they announced the iPod, and that just became a massive success. I remember, you know, in those days working in the Apple store early on, and and you know the you, teenage girls would walk past the store and say, "Ooh, I want to go in the iPod store." I mean, they called it the iPod store, not the Apple store. Um, so that was a huge driver for the success um, of of Apple retail, and of course the iPhone came along, and the rest is history. Um, and Apple was uh, sort of revolutionizing the retail concept in, in a lot of ways. Um, they, they very wisely brought, brought Ron Johnson over from Target, who had been responsible for a lot of the success of those stores. And, uh, you know, a lot of things we take for granted about the Apple retail experience were new at the time, like the Genius Bar, you know, a place in the, that you could go in the store to get free technical support. You know, that was huge, and that became... Uh, so so overwhelmingly successful that now you have you know a reservation system and, and that sort of thing because there's just a lot of demand for that service and you know Microsoft came along with their stores in 2009 and and they kind of you know unfortunately and I don't you know I know there's only so many ways to do a retail store but they just looked like knockoff Apple stores they had you know wooden tables that 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 looked kind of like the ones in the Apple stores and instead of the Genius Bar they had the Answers Desk and um, you know, and things like that. And it just felt, it just felt like a me too kind of thing. Um, and I will give Microsoft credit for having a lot of boldness because they, they took on, because again, you know, Apple, believe it or not, Apple had some humility when they announced the move to, uh, open retail stores. Steve Jobs even got up on stage and you can find the picture online of him with the words, retailing is hard on the slide behind him, because uh, retailing is hard. And, and Apple knew that this was something they were getting into that they had no, previous experience with and uh that's not to say that microsoft didn't and, but and again i give them credit for for making some bold moves because um um you know they intentionally placed a lot of their stores um very close to the existing apple stores uh, the microsoft store at the mall near me was was literally right above the apple store and uh that was very bold because i guess the idea is you can put it nearby and you, you can kind of compare the products, and I guess Microsoft was hopeful that they could say we've got a real uh, important thing going on here that you that you know that that can impress you even more than the Apple Store. But the reality was, it made it really easy to see the uh, the lack of traffic going on in the Microsoft Microsoft stores, and the fact that Apple stores are typically bursting at the seams, and that that's kind of the way it played out for the most part. Um, so. Of course, they they sold the, the Xbox is kind of I guess the closest this is the biggest consumer product that they have uh, to sell in the Microsoft stores. But 
I'm just not sure how many people associate the Xbox brand with Microsoft. I don't know that most people think of the same company that makes Office when they think of the Xbox gaming console. So, um, But they have announced that they are closing all the retail stores. Um, uh, fortunately, uh, they're retaining all their employees and they'll be used in other parts of the company. So that's really good news. But, you know, at the end of the day, I think it's just it's just an acknowledgement that all those years ago, Steve Jobs was right. Retailing is is hard. So speaking of retailing, um, if you're if you're looking to purchase a new Mac soon and maybe you listened to my podcast last week or you've read the stuff that I've written on the blog post or, or you've even gone and watched the keynote from WWDC. I can't say that in my southern accent. My W is WWDC. Um, you, you, you kind of know that some big things are happening. The, the Mac OS is getting its biggest redesign in 20 years, and Apple is making a major processor transition, moving away from Intel chips over to Apple's own designed in-house chips, which they're currently calling Apple Silicon, but I, I suspect there will be a, a slicker marketing name. Uh, for example, Apple has the A-series chips on the iPhone, so I, I don't know what they'll... M-series would be the most obvious one for the Mac, but there's already an M, M coprocessor that Apple designed, so... Be curious to see what they name it, but for now they're calling it Apple Silicon, and uh, I talked about that a lot uh, on the last episode. But um, so you know, the reason why this 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 might give you pause if you're thinking about buying a Mac is that um, this is going to be a time of transition, and the way Apple demoed it makes it look like it should be fairly smooth for most most things. Really, what where, where, where it gets problematic is the fact that. You know, this is not a perfect analogy, but it's almost like, a, think of it this way, a processor has its own language, and the software needs to speak the language of the processor so that it tells it how to run properly and they communicate with each other properly. Um, and the Intel processor speaks a different language than Apple Silicon. And so what that means is that uh, all the software developers who develop Mac software are going to need to update their apps to speak the language of Apple Silicon in order to run at the most at peak efficiency on the system. Um, and so, you know, there's going to be a, some kind of time frame involved where, you know, some software developers will have their apps updated for Apple Silicon ready to go. Others will take longer to get their apps ready. And there's some app developers that will just never make the transition that they, they, they've just, they don't have enough customers to, to support it or they've gotten into other things and, you know, yeah, and that's just going to fade away. Um, so the good news is that they've introduced some, some technologies that are going to help make this transition go a lot smoother than it would if there was a hard break between the two. They introduced uh, Universal 2, which is a technology for software developers, which lets the developer make a single app that speaks the language of both uh, Intel processors and Apple Silicon processors. So you don't have to, you don't have to go and look, you know, look online and, and see, well, is this one for Apple Silicon or is this one for Intel? It's just going to run the same no matter what Mac hardware that you have. Uh, so that's cool. The, the other thing that's going to help the transition is a technology called Rosetta 2. And what that does is it takes apps that were written for the Intel processor and in so many words just makes them just run on, on the Apple Silicon processor. It's, doing some tra it's almost like doing language translation. It's translating the language of the Intel processor over to Apple Silicon. Um, and they showed some impressive demos. They showed a high-end 3D rendering application, and they showed a pretty high-end uh, PC game uh, running on Apple Silicon that was actually written for Intel chip. And they looked like they were running great. So Apple's basically saying, hey, we, we think that these apps are going to run pretty good while you're waiting for developers to get Apple Silicon native versions of them out there. 
and uh, we'll, you know, hopefully that hopefully in practice it runs uh, very smoothly for most things. But there is going to be there's going to be some uh, taxing of the system because your your Mac is going to have to translate kind of on the fly in some cases or or at install in others, which is pretty cool. Um, but that's going to be giving your computer more work to do than it would have to do otherwise. And so we're going to just have to see in practice uh, whether or not that is truly seamless or whether there's some noticeable uh, lag in the software running that way. I, I would suspect that most apps are going to run just fine, but, re but apps that are more resource intensive might have a little bit more difficulty uh, running at, at good speed on Apple Silicon. So we'll see how that goes. Um, but, you know, the question is, if you're looking to buy a Mac now, you know, should you do it or should you wait? Um, Apple announced that the first Macs running on Apple Silicon will start coming out later this year, but that it's going to take up to two years for the transition to, to finalize before they get the entire Mac line switched over to Apple Silicon. And they also said that they still have some Intel-based Macs in the pipeline that, are, that they haven't announced yet that are still going to come out. Um, so... You know, as a consumer, this is the advice I would give. Um, if you don't need a Mac right now, maybe you've been thinking about getting a Mac, but it's not absolutely essential, you might want to wait at least through the end of this year just to see what the first uh, Mac or Macs uh, are going to come out uh, on Apple Silicon. Like right now, we don't we don't even know if it's going to be the MacBook Air or the MacBook Pro or the iMac. Or we, we just don't know yet because uh, Apple hasn't said. So if you can wait, um, it might not be a bad idea to do so. Um, but if you are, you know, absolutely in need of a new Mac right now, go ahead and do it. I, I don't think it's a bad time to do it. Apple has said that you're still going to have software support for a long time to come. Um, honestly, uh, I think that uh, in general, when you're buying a new Mac, you should expect to get five years of Mac OS support for it. In other words, you know, from the time you buy it up until five years later, you should still be able to run the current version of Mac OS, whatever version that is at the time. And sometimes uh, even older Macs than that, Apple still supports uh, running the latest version of Mac OS. But thinking in five-year windows is, is pretty normal, uh, pr a pretty good way to think about it. Um, and if you were buying a new Mac now, you know, obviously we don't, we just don't know until kind of the fullness of time plays out, but I would expect that you'll be able to get at least four years of, of full Mac OS support out of that. Um, and I'm putting my money where my mouth is because we're almost certainly about to purchase a new MacBook Air for our family to use for school and things like that. So um, so I'm planning to buy a new new MacBook uh, at the moment and it's going to be running on Intel. And so, you know, again, uh, if, you, in the, if you need a Mac now, don't feel bad about getting one. It's still going to run, you know, current software for years to come. Um, and, but if you, you know, maybe you're thinking about getting a Mac in the next year or so, then let's maybe hold off and see, uh, what happens with Apple Silicon and which are the first models to, to come out and what those new models are like. And we'll kind of see how that goes. Last thing on my list for this week, um, pretty cool is, whoops, my, as my, as I pull up my notes and my phone switches over to a different app is that, um, Hodinkee which uh, is a publication and, and uh, they, they're mostly an online publication, although uh, in the last year or two, they have added a, a print magazine as well, but they are an online publication that covers the top end of the mechanical watch industry. So these guys cover, you know, all the major Swiss watch brands, Rolex and Omega and uh, Patek Philippe and Audemars and Piguet. I mean, all the big high end watches that, <laughs> that I can't afford to own. Uh, they cover and um, 
they announced uh, just uh, a couple days ago that they are becoming an official Apple Watch retailer, an authorized retailer from Apple to carry Apple Watches and bands. Um, and that's pretty cool for a number of reasons. Um, one, it shows that uh, the Apple Watch is a product that can appeal to people who are um, fans of the, the highest end of, of watchmaking out there. Um, and we've kind of seen this from the beginning. This, 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 this company, uh, this, this publication, Hodinkee, is one that I've read, uh, been reading since the first Apple Watch came out because uh, their founder, Ben Clymer, wrote a really in-depth uh, review of that first Apple Watch. He was at the Apple Watch announcement event in 2014 and got to be hands-on with it, um, it, it you know, uh, in the, the hands-on area after the announcement and wrote a really great piece just kind of looking at it and uh, from the perspective of someone who is uh, super into high-end watches. And um, and he was really impressed with it. And they, as an, as an institution, have been very impressed with Apple Watch. Uh, they've, they've covered all the Apple Watch releases since then. They've, they've praised them. Um, you can tell they're fans of them. And, of course, that's a, an interesting place to be because um, I'm a fan. I love... Uh, you know, traditional mechanical moving pieces watches. Um, and one of the things that I was the most scared about with the Apple Watch is that I was afraid I would love it so much that I would never want to wear uh, a traditional watch again because I would be so enamored by, you know, getting notifications on my watch and fitness tracking and that sort of thing. And that has turned out to be the case, actually. I've, I've, I've not really had any interest uh, in owning uh, a mechanical watch since the Apple Watch came out because I do find it just so practical and the utility of it is is there's just so much of it there so uh, but I but even even though I've you know been only wearing Apple watches for that time I've continued to be a reader of Hodinkee and I would recommend it to anyone even if you're not even necessarily a fan of uh, of watches because their their website is just so well designed the layout font choices photography and of course, they're covering physical objects in these watches that are just beautiful works of art in themselves. Uh, great writing. I mean, uh, can't recommend that website highly enough. They spell it uh, H-O-D-I-N-K-E-E. -E. And, I, and I don't remember what language that comes from, but it's it's the word for time or, or watches or clocks, something like that in a different language. But um, fantastic website. And they now sell Apple watches alongside of high-end Swiss watches. And uh, so that's pretty cool, um, just because uh, it shows that the Apple Watch um, has a place alongside of those watches. You know, another interesting factoid um, about the Apple Watch and how successful it is, is that Apple Watch shipments now account for a larger share of the watch industry than the entire Swiss watch industry. Um, so that just, and of course that makes sense. I mean, you, you know, the Apple watch is a lower price thing. So more people are going to be able to afford an Apple watch than a Rolex Submariner. Um, but again, it's just impressive that Apple, a company that had not previously been in the watch industry at all, walked in, you know, five years ago and now, you know, is, is the dominant player in the watch market, not just a smartwatch market, but watches. Um, that's an impressive thing. And, and, you know, that's the kind of thing that, uh, people who are follow the watch industry can't ignore. So very interesting to see that. Of course, uh, later this year, we should get the Apple Watch Series 6, and I'll be really curious to see what that's like. I'm currently uh, using the Apple Watch Series 4. Um, the always-on-screen introduced last year with the Series 5 was certainly tempting, but 
Um, I just didn't feel like there was enough new there to justify purchasing another new watch, um, you know, only a year after getting the last one I bought. And, uh, and I think that was the wise choice. I've enjoyed my series four, um, may wind up getting a series six this year. I think really for me, it comes down to what prompts me to really consider a new Apple watch purchase is what new sensors come on them. You know, I'm really interested a lot in, especially the older I get in Apple watch as, as a health device. And so um, I'll be curious to see if there's anything new from a sensor department um, that the new watch can do. And so I'll be watching that space very closely. Well, that's it for this week on Your Apple Update. I'm your host, John Sherrod. Uh, you can find my website at johnsherrod.net. That's S-H-E-R-R-O-D, johnsherrod.net, where I write several times a week. Uh, mostly about Apple. And so uh, if you like reading about Apple, go check out my website. You can go to yourappleupdate.com to find a list of all my previous podcast episodes and also links to where you can listen to them on all the major podcast apps and websites. Of course, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Overcast, Pocket Cast, you name it, um, your Apple Update should be on there. So that's yourappleupdate.com. And if you're a fan of the show or, or even a fan of my writing work, you can go to yourappleupdate.com and you can actually use Apple Pay to support the show. Um, they have some quick links where you can uh, become a monthly uh, recurring uh, contributor at 99 cents a month, $4.99 a month, or $9.99 a month. And uh, uh, that would that'd be a big help in keeping the show going. But that's it for this week on Your Apple Update, and we'll see you next week.